Hi, my name is Carl Muller, and I'm one of the co-hosts of the Inside the Epicenter podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to our show, where my colleague and the founder of the Joshua Fund, Joel Rosenberg, and I discuss current events worthy of prayer or praise to the Lord and how they relate to end times prophecy. Having spent 20 years meeting with presidents, prime ministers, kings, and clerics, Joel has a unique and fascinating perspective on this region of the Middle East we call the epicenter. Today, you're going to hear one of our latest episodes of the show. If you like what you hear, we encourage you to check out the links in today's show notes and follow Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg on your favorite podcast app. You can also go to lifeaudio.com for more information. Thanks for listening. Judgment is coming. You cannot kill 63 million babies, no matter what other sins you have, and not face judgment. I think the American church and the world, Israel has to accept this is true, and there's no way out of it. Is America heading for implosion or a new great awakening? The movie Jesus Revolution opened the Asbury Revival, many people have heard about, has brought hundreds of thousands of people into a fresh awareness of what God may be doing through college students around the country, and the reality of He Gets Us and other campaigns are bringing the topic of Jesus more and more to the front of our culture. And yet, at the same time, we see forces of chaos and destruction all around us. What is the projected outcome? And how can we be praying for both of these things? Hi, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we have a very special guest, not only Joel Rosenberg in Jerusalem, but someone I've known for over three decades now, my wife, Kimberly Moeller, who is the San Diego Regional Director for the National Christian Foundation, and has written an article recently on this revival and the reality of Jesus in uh, the United States and potentially some of the other things that are happening. And uh, Joel, I know we're, we're excited to talk to Kim because uh, that article has drawn a lot of attention on what God might be doing. So Kimberly, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here with you both. Joel, I'm, I'm wondering too, you know, as you've seen that article and the context for it, all of these things, a multi hundred million dollar campaign to bring, uh, Jesus through ads in the Super Bowl and other sporting events, uh, spontaneous revival that brought, uh, well over a hundred thousand people at one time and, and many other campuses to, uh, Asbury University in Kentucky taking place at the same time. And the recent release of a movie both you and I really found to be deeply moving, The Jesus Revolution, telling the story about how Jesus, you know, during the Jesus movement and the hippie movement, really spoke to the deep cultural needs of America. You know, maybe you can comment a little bit on why Kim's article has been so helpful in kind of bringing some of these things together. And then, Kim, we want to get some of your thoughts on why you wrote it and what you're seeing out there among people. Well, I'm happy to do it, uh, Carl, as we get started. Um, you know, 
some people tuning in might think uh, this is supposed to be about the epicenter. What are we talking about Southern California for or the Super Bowl? What does that have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with the fact that Israel is the place where uh, the Holy Spirit was first poured out at Pentecost. And God said that in the last days, you know, from my, you know, quoting from my favorite book of the Bible, the book of Joel, uh, understandably, you know, chapter two, that he's in the last days, he's going to pour out his Holy Spirit even more dramatically. And the relationship between the United States and Israel is if the United States goes down, if it implodes for a number of possible reasons, Israel's all by itself. Now, at some point in the prophetic future, that's going to happen. Israel is going to be all by itself. Whenever we get to the Ezekiel 38, 39 scenario, nobody's, no matter how many allies we may think we have, nobody's coming to our defense when Russia, Iran, and these other countries converge and surround us and try to devour us. So, so we know that's coming, but you know, the United States is the world's only superpower. It's been super uh, supportive of Israel, our best friend and ally, you know, for 75 years. So everybody in Israel keeps an eye on what's going on in the United States. And as an, someone who was born and raised in the United States and now lives in Jerusalem, I keep a very close eye on what's happening. And I feel like when we write for all Israel news, we have to understand the U.S.-Israel dynamic. And we have to understand also the spiritual trends that are happening, not just in Israel, but in Iran and China, certainly in the United States. So the question I'm looking at these days, both for all Israel news, for the Rosenberg Report and for the Joshua Fund and for my own personal devotions is this question – is America heading for implosion or another great awakening? Yeah. That's the central question for me. And I think there's a lot of data points that are contradictory. You could read the data and say, we're done. You know, a country murders 63 million babies. It's done. God's going to bring judgment and there's no more time on the clock. Okay, but that's true. I mean, it, there's almost no, you don't even need other data points. Murder, sexual abuse, human trafficking, you know, crime, you know, pornography. I mean, just the list of our sins is mounting and, you know, off the charts. But, you know, why wasn't 10 million babies murdered enough to trigger judgment? 20, 30, 40. Okay, we're now at 63. And yet Roe v. Wade has just been overturned. The tide is turning. The number of abortions is coming down. The number of states that are not only outlawing it, but are encouraging pro-life centers and care for unwed mothers and, you know, adoption and, you know, all of it. You think people are really praying. They're really working and there is change happening. So does that mean God is still going to judge? So my short answer is judgment is coming. Yeah. You cannot kill 63 million babies, no matter what other sins you have, and not face judgment. I think the American church and the world, Israel has to accept this is true and there's no way out of it. But I'll just say this one point. Until it happens – we should be praying every moment of every day for a revival inside the church and a great awakening yeah. in the broader society of the United States and every other country. And so that's what drew me to Kim's article. And that's why I encourage her to, yeah, do an article on this for all Israel news, because the data points you were picking up, Kim, I, I, you got, you're calling her Kimberly. So I always knew you as Kim, but okay. <laughs> Kimberly. Either is fine. You know her better than me. So. <laughs> well, yeah, well, Kim, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, talk, so yeah. this article was fascinating. So I really want you to sort of unpack what were you seeing? Because when you did it, maybe almost less than a month ago, so much more is happening even mm-hmm. that, that I don't think when you started writing that, all, you were one of the few people that were seeing this percolating in my view. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hadn't seen anyone write on it yet. Right. Well, it's been an interesting journey and I get to kind of take it back to when Trump lost the election in the United States 
And many Christians kind of gave up, right? And not threw in the towel, but really lost hope. And Carl and I have done work in the persecuted church for, you know, that was his career for a solid decade of time. And when you looked at like what happened in those places in China, where the house church grew under very difficult circumstances, those people never gave up hope. Mm. So when I looked at the, the environment across the United States and you saw the Christians that still believed and knew that God always has a remnant. He's always at work. His light is greatest sometimes in the darkest places. Like you're mentioning all the, uh, you know, uh, 63 million abortions. It's up to us. If we're going to continue individually, whatever he is doing, right. To keep our own selves connected to him pray for his spirit, his forgiveness, his holiness to emerge in our lives. Cause that's what it's all about. And, you know, whether, you know, the verse about his, the eyes of the Lord wandered to and fro throughout the earth, looking for him who is fully committed to me and he will use that person. So when I could see the Christians who were still really just a lot was going on and a lot of new things were emerging. And then you kind of saw this camp of people that were not a part of that. And it just caused me to just think of, I mean, I think my natural proclivity in life is a connector. I'm always connecting a person to another person or this book would be great, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I started seeing, because my prior role, I'm now, as Carl mentioned, with the National Christian Foundation and focus more on San Diego and Orange County. But my prior role was with a company called Glue, which is a tech company out of Boulder, Colorado. And we are the company that connects the people who see the ads for the He Gets Us campaign that you reference, the black and white ads about Jesus, to local churches. There, It's kind of like Glue is a campaign hub. So they run different marketing campaigns and people go to the ad, they go to the website, and then based on zip code and the information they provide, we connect them with, with a local church. So doing a lot of travel across the United States, being involved with a lot of these organizations and partnerships in that role caused me to be able to see things from the bird's eye view. And when we were starting with the He Gets Us campaign, and that's now, you know, a full year and a half ago, it was fascinating. And I told the story in the article, but this is also where I thought, wow, there's something to this where Carl and I were at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention last March, and he was doing his role with his job. I was doing my role. And I was there for He Gets Us. And we were talking about, you know, just different partners that were there and exposing them to what this was all about, because it was very new for people. We had done a test marketing case on it, and it was already very successful. But we were there uh, having these conversations. And and then after we left the NRB, I was wearing a He Gets Us baseball hat at the Nashville airport. And I really forgot I was wearing it at that point. I probably had bad hair and I just was like, okay, we're just going to travel in this hat. But we always, Carl and I always carry our bags on. But this time, because we were on the road for like three weeks, I checked my bag and walked up to the Southwest ticket counter. And the lady looked at my hat and said, what does your hat mean? And I said, oh, it says he gets us. And it means that Jesus gets you and he sees what you're going through. And whether you're struggling with anxiety or depression or any, you know, any mental issue that's challenging, he is there with you. And she just, you know, there were honestly hundreds of people behind me in this line. And she just stopped and looked me in the eye and said, wow, I just really feel like this is a divine moment. And I said, what do you mean? Tell me, tell me more. And she said, well, I just feel like you're speaking right to me. I need to hear this. 
So thus began, you know, at that point, I thought something's going to be happening with this campaign. And, and I always go back to also Henry Blackaby, you know, where God is at work, join him. So then we had the privilege of, you know, all these different groups, these athletic teams started opening their doors for this campaign about Jesus. I mean, Carl and I were at a White Sox game in Chicago and, you know, the Jumbotron says he gets us in the fireworks and then around the entire stadium says Jesus forgave errors and, you know, like thousands <laughs> of people. And you're like, this is a baseball game for the White Sox and it's Jesus. So I just loved the favor that we started seeing with these organizations that wanted to be a part of this. And so then, you know, just all the time and all the the work that was involved to get that campaign to where it was. And, you know, I mentioned Glue as a technology company, but there are a number of amazing companies that are a part of that entire campaign that I'm just in awe of their talent. And so, and the campaign, the goal of that campaign, I should clarify, was to raise or is to raise the respect and relevance of Jesus in our culture. Yeah. And it's so really just... Dis- I want to interject actually for a second. If Sure. Your husband is the moderator of this thing. <laughs> but I'm going to use okay. the founder I, privilege for a second. Um, <laughs> just to say, I have been surprised. Of course, I'm not there, so I'm not having the same conversations on the ground. And, you know, we do watch football, but it's a little tougher on VPN from here. But sure. the point is, I have seen some significant pushback. Oh, you know, he gets us. It's not preaching the gospel clearly. And, oh, and, oh it's sort of uh, squishy. And I'm like, why are they spending so much money? But what I think is missing from that sort of cynical, um, I would say, hypercritical attitude is there's a conversation about Jesus that exactly. nobody in the campaign that I'm aware of is claiming that a 30-second black and white ad <laughs> or something going around the White Sox Stadium is the gospel and is going to bring the person to Jesus. The question is people are so tuned out, Jesus, because because of a lot of cultural reasons, but a lot of it is it's the church seems very judgmental and very, you know, and inaccessible. And these ads are intriguing to me because they, you you think they're talking about some gang leader and then it's Jesus. And so it catches you um, if you've never seen them before. After a while, you probably go, oh, that's probably a a Jesus ad. But then that's good because you're like, well, they're making a case. They're they're making a 30 second thing that, you know, Jesus understands you. I don't understand how a person can think, isn't, isn't that law one? of the four spiritual laws. It's not law four. Right. It's law one. God loves you and he cares for you. Mm-hmm. We're not even getting to that, but you're separated. You don't know. Like, you know, and if you think of Campus Crusade, so that's, this has bothered me. And I think there's a whole cottage industry yeah. of, criticism. There was just an article yesterday that came out and part of the headline was Christian cannibalism. And we're like eating our own, you know, and that campaign, just to be clear, is not designed for everybody. It's designed for the skeptics and the spiritually open. And the, you know, for example, you talk about like the gang members, the, the one video wrongly judged starts out with the guy with the tattoo all over his neck. And that's filmed in East LA. And, you know, you watch it and you think they're gang members spreading hate. And then, you know, the voice says no, but they were spreading love. And then you see them giving yeah. food and you, and your brain looks at it as like, wow, I was looking at that wrongly differently. And, you know, yeah. it says, you know, Jesus was wrongly judged. He gets us at the end. And that's the whole point of it is yeah. to sort of like do a little bit of a flip with how your brain was looking at it. Wow. Maybe I've been perceiving things the wrong way. Maybe I have been very judgmental. Yeah. Conversation about who Jesus really is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
Well, I wanted I wanted to say one more thing too about the ad, and then we want to get into some of the other things that are taking place. But uh, you know, the, the the ad was amazing. One of our staff members called me and said, "Hey, pray for my dad. He just saw one of the he gets us ads, and he's never been open to spiritual things before, and uh, he's he wants to talk about Jesus." And I'm like. Yes, Lord, that's exactly what that campaign was all about. Uh, no, can- that's that's right. Yeah, and and that's a great point, Carl, because the the campaign is one piece, right? And I think Joel, that's what this article I was trying to show is like that's just one thing God's doing, but look what he's doing here and look what he's doing here and look what he's doing over here and and if we're just kind of stuck on the sidelines missing this, yeah. then we could be missing something incredible. Um, right. Someone, I was just talking to my daughter and she was talking about, yeah, she goes, I've seen uh, different headlines that say, you know, look what happened at the Grammys and that whole debacle. <laughs> and then post. The, uh, yeah, exactly. Wow. But after that, you know, like that happened and then explosion over here on he gets us at the Super Bowl, the Chosen's going on, Asbury Revival, the Jesus Revolution movie. And, you know, right now we're in that time of Lent up until Easter and Pentecost. And there are just a lot of organizations that are kind of using this time to pray and fast, like Lou Engel is doing a three-week fast as well. So anyways, that's what I was trying to do is say, let's not lose hope. God's still God. He's still on the throne. You, if you want to get, you know, join the party, he's doing a lot of things and he can definitely <laughs> use your, he can use your help, but doesn't need your help. <laughs> I'm, I'm reminded that the three of us have seen, not together, because obviously, Joel, you're in Jerusalem, but you got an advanced copy of the Jesus Revolution there from uh, Pastor Greg Laurie. And Kim and I went on a, a pre-screening uh, here locally in Southern California to the Jesus Revolution. And, and in some ways, Joel, you know, uh, the the scenes with Pastor Chuck Smith and his congregation coming to terms with what God was doing through these hippies, you know, reminds me of a little bit like, wow, uh, these critics, these people who are not willing to let uh, Jesus surprise them a little bit with his thing. That's really a big issue right now. And I think we've seen historically that's been part of this. So, Kim, maybe you yeah. can just comment or Joel, you can comment a little bit on how does the the Jesus Revolution uh, movie, you know, kind of figure into historically what we've seen happen just through the, the Jesus movement? Yeah, I don't mind criticism. I think there's a difference between criticism sure. and cynicism. And I think what we're sure. watching is snarkyism, snarky <laughs> cynicism, which is like, Okay, well, so you don't want someone to spend a hundred million dollars to get a Jesus conversation started. Okay, <laughs> how are you getting it started? Like, I, you know, why don't you use it rather than snark at it? But okay, I think the Jesus Revolution movie is um, the timing is unbelievable, and it comes from a wonderful, you know, dear friend uh, of, of the Joshua Fund, which is Greg Laurie, who's preached at our epicenter conferences and has had me come and preach lots of, uh, at his church, and we've been friends for a long time. He and Kathy and I, and what intrigues me is he, he is, I would argue that he was one of, if not the most influential evangelist in the world today, certainly in the United States, and uh, really trained and, and mentored, not just under Chuck Smith as a Bible teacher, but under Billy Graham, literally directly as on his board and with, you know, traveling with him and learning how to be an evangelist and to be winsome. Now, Billy Graham in his day got a lot of criticism as well, most famously, when he held his, I don't know, month-long, whatever it was, crusades in Madison Square Garden in New York City. And Bob Jones, who was the head of, you know, and founder of Bob Jones University, broke with Billy Graham because Billy Graham invited 
Roman Catholic, Lutheran, Episcopalian, you know, sort of a wide range of clergy in New York City on to be on the platform. And Bob Jones was like, see, that's Billy Graham. He's a he's a sellout. He's a liberal. Those guys don't even believe in the gospel. You know, yada yada. And Billy Graham said to him privately, some of them know Jesus, but a lot of them don't. And their people don't. Like, don't we want to invite them into a room where they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, they don't think that they're against Christ, but maybe they, they don't. Everyone in that room doesn't realize that they're not yet born again. Yeah. Don't we want to have that conversation? So the, Billy Graham was uh, leaning into the culture and trying to be winsome. And Greg Laurie gets that. He's also very funny, so he mixes it. But my point is his prayerful instinct is that he doesn't even like Christian movies. He said that in an interview. I'm not a big <laughs> fan of Christian movies myself. But he understood that this was a messy story mm. of very imperfect people, and of which he was a drug user <laughs> in the movie and his his girlfriend and bride-to-be, his, his sister almost dies of an overdose and his mother almost dies of an overdose. Or, or you know, and, and so a lot of complexity. This is not a, like, you know, Barney meets Jesus, some sort of simple, <laughs> you know, I love you, you love me. What a, like that to me is too often Christian movies can be a little, a little uh, too neat. Yeah. And – I'm not saying they're all bad or that God yeah. can't use them, but I, you know, I think they're usually not messy. And this yeah. is because it's a true story. There were so many twists and turns of, wow, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And it's so effective. And wow, go get the the man who was the number one guy on television for a decade. Uh, yeah. you know, Kelsey, Kelsey Grammer. Grammer. And you know, I love yeah. Kelsey Grammer. And he becomes Chuck Smith. Now, I knew Chuck Smith. I was gonna. I don't want to sound like Lloyd Benson. I knew Chuck Smith. <laughs> Chuck Smith was a friend of mine, and you, Senator, I know Chuck Smith. No, um, but uh, in the Dan Quayle debates, but Chuck Smith years ago had invited me to come preach, and it was actually when I released the book Epicenter, right? Of which the title Inside the Epicenter it comes from. I gave the first message about what's this book about, and what's going on in Israel and the region at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, the very church where this all began. What I'm telling you is that movie, I watch it because Greg sent it to me and I love Greg, but I was not, <laughs> I didn't have high hopes. Didn't have high right. expectations. All right. Yeah. I was bawling. Yeah. I got saved in that Jesus revolution in, the, in 1975, my parents in 73, Lynn in 76. Like our family was transformed by what happened in Southern California. We didn't even know what was happening in Southern California, but that was a revival in a church. It became a great awakening. It spread all across the country and it had global impact. That's pretty cool. And no one's told that story. And now that's being told right after COVID and a million Americans being dead mm. from that and all that pain and all that separation and all that. I think the timing is just off the charts. Amazing. Yeah. And it was so well acted and so well directed and so well shot. I just thought, yeah. I got I to support this movie in every way I can. Yeah, absolutely. Joel, I think we got to come back for uh, a second episode on this, uh, this subject. But uh, Kim, I want to get to you in just a second. We got to take a quick break right now. But I want to get your thoughts on the Jesus Revolution movie and, and also the Azusa revival and the uh, Asbury revival. So um, let's take a break right now and then we'll be back. Our verse of the day today is found in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. 
Our prayer requests today are, number one, pray that the eyes of our hearts are open to see what God is doing around us in America and many parts of the world, and to teach us how to be part of what He is doing. And second, pray that the person of Jesus will be more visible in the epicenter, in our culture, and in places that are not open to the gospel around the world. Well, we're back. Kim and Joel, it's great to join this conversation about what God is doing and the revolution that took place um, through the Jesus movement and even today what God is doing. Kim, talk about your thoughts on the Jesus Revolution film and how it relates to what God is doing in, in the other parts of our culture right now. Sure. Joel, I really resonate with what you said about that movie. And, you know, I grew up in Southern California and this movie was like, wasn't it 69, 71-ish uh, when it took place? So I was little then and missed it, you know, in terms of being able to read about it in the news. So for me, it's filled in a lot of gaps historically of how, what this all, you know, meant. And then in the movie, when they show the Time Magazine cover, Jesus Revolution, you know, that that was incredible. But that is also one of those data points that's happening today where unbelievable news, you know, agencies are covering what's happening with the Jesus revolution. And so one, one point, Carl, I want to draw together that I saw when we were watching the movie was, you know, we had this incredible revival happening at Asbury. And when you and I saw the movie on Wednesday night, they had finished the revival. You know, they had said, we're now closing the doors here at Asbury, not to say we're finishing what God is doing. We want you to take this other places so that his spirit can move throughout the land. And almost the identical words were said in the movie. Like when it comes to the end of the movie, and I don't want to give a, you know, spoiler alert about it, but it's, they say like, it's not just designed for Southern California, but we are meant to bring this to other places. And the parallels of, it was really the young, you know, college age kids in their their late teens and twenties and same with the Asbury. So, those parallels, those connection points to me were, were really, really powerful. And I, and I just, I loved in the movie, the imperfection of the people, Joel, I thought they did a brilliant job of showing just some of the tensions and marriages and as working together, you know, in this new space and then how they handled it. And was it perfect? No, but did God use it? A hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and I did a whole show uh, on the Rosenberg Report using uh, clips from the film, using uh, uh, some of the interviews that they had done with the actors that they, that Greg was willing to send me, which I appreciated and, and tying it into the Asbury revival. And one of the things I also used was again, when you have a, a star of the superpower uh, nature of Kelsey Grammer, Emmy multi Emmy award winning actor. And I mean, everyone else in the cast was, was spot on stunningly good. Uh, Jonathan Rumi as uh, Lonnie Frisbee uh, was Unbelievable! I, 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 like he was born for that role, and he was also born for the role of Jesus. So that's <laughs> roles. But Kelsey Grammer has enough firepower, star power, that he could go on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Yes. He could go on live with. Uh, it used to be Regis and Kathy Lee. That's why I always want to say that. Um, just Kelly Ripa with uh, Kelly and Rip yeah. and, uh, Ripa yeah. and Ryan yeah. Crest, right? And so I showed clips because. Greg Laurie is very well known, but I, he's not going to wind up on The Tonight Show or on, you know, live with Kelly and, uh, and Ryan. So, but Frazier could. And one of, the, one of the great parts was Kelsey Grammer is a, is a comedian. He's a, he's a, 
you know, a Shakespearean trained actor, but he, you know, we know him for being funny mostly, right? This was not a particularly funny role, but but he was funny on the show. He he got he got the culture. You know, I, you know, Jesus gets us. Kelsey gets how to talk about this stuff. And the first thing he said was to uh, uh, Jimmy Fallon, right? Because you think you know we're going to talk about all right. So now tell me about this Jesus movie. You, you know, there's a little like mm, okay, like you're on. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, and he's like, well, this weekend you've got two choices. I love that. Cocaine <laughs> bear. Yes, and the story of the living Christ, uh-huh. and Jimmy Fallon breaks down laughing. Uh-huh. I didn't even think of that. That's incredible. He goes, you know, you know, so you know, a, a bear who eats a whole duffel bag of cocaine, or you know, <laughs> the wizard saying, like, he oh, caught people, and then he went into why he wanted to do this, and and then I'm live with Kelly and Ryan. They watch a clip and he's already in tears. Now maybe he's just a great actor and he just decided to do that, but I'm. It looked pretty genuine, and they're like. You're crying. And they almost went full Frasier. Ryan did. He's yeah. like, you know, can I help you? I'm listening, right? <laughs> he got so emotional. Now, I don't know Kelsey Grammer's spiritual life. I, I mean, he was, he was raised a Christian scientist, which wouldn't be a born-again um, experience. But I don't know where he is today. I'm not judging him one way or the other. I'm just saying he got the vulnerability of Chuck Smith, that Chuck was a man who his church was dying. There was almost nobody there. His daughter doesn't even want to really go to church anymore. She's pretty, she's about to say, I don't get this. And the daughter invites this hippie street preacher to come in, you know, in the trailers, so I'm not giving anything away. There's a point at which Chuck Smith and his wife are watching television of all these hippies. And he goes, I don't get them. And, and she goes, they need help. He goes, they need a bath. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and the daughter's like, dad, you know, you should care about these people. These are young people searching for truth. He goes, if a hippie comes to my door, you know, then I'll talk to him. Like, so she meets one, hitchhiking, <laughs> he brings him, he, yeah. and he's like, um, and then she said, Dad, you said if I brought you a hippie, or if God brought you a hippie, you would listen to him. And like, I said it, but I didn't mean it. <laughs> like, that's awesome. And that's, that's all true. Yeah, that that's was Chuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he realized this guy, Lonnie Frisbee, he loves Jesus. And he understands this generation. And maybe they could work together. That is an incredibly powerful story. And I, I was blown away and I knew some of it, but you can know it. And then you can watch it in the movie and go, wow, that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Kim, you know, you're a connector, you connect the dots. And that's one of the themes of that uh, article is, you know, look at all the things, you know, you can see Jesus in all of these things that's going on. What would you say as we, as we kind of wrap up in this section, you know, what are some of the connections that we need to see underneath all of the stuff that's happening? Well, I think that, you know, we can have our eyes on the bigger side of things and the movement that's happening. And then, you know, Joel, how you started this podcast, like implosion, revival, who knows? I mean, I certainly don't have answers to those questions, but all I know is what's in my power is to be praying to be used every day in my little world, going into the coffee shop or the grocery store in the interactions I have with my job and work and the relationships. So I think for the listener to this podcast, you know, kind of what does this mean to them? Be encouraged, be excited, be available, be ready to, for God to use you wherever you live. You know, you might live in Israel, you might live in Nebraska, you might live in New York, Kansas City, Southern California. Wherever you live is where God has placed you and he's got you there for a reason. And 
nobody knows the times, you know, no one can say this is exactly what's going to happen in 30 days from now, but there are many signs. And Joel, I think what I always enjoy about listening to your shows and broadcasts are, you know, you often say, I'm looking at the chessboard, here are the pieces I'm seeing, but you don't necessarily say, therefore, that that means this, you allow people to, you know, pray and know the scriptures themselves or read the current events and draw their conclusions. So that's, All I've been trying to do, too, is I don't have answers, but I'm just seeing these different things. And I think it's exciting and I think it's encouraging. And I don't want us as Christians to lose hope. I think we're here for such a time as this. We have incredible technology at our fingertips. This morning, I was listening to this broadcast on LinkedIn all about how to use chat GPT. And people are just saying it's going to revolutionize things within the next you know, month or two if you don't get on now and you're training this whole AI to you know learn how you talk and speak and create the avatar that looks like you to do the videos so they can't even tell the difference. And I'm thinking, this is unbelievable how, you know, even just go back a year ago from what was available. And they said, like, when the Internet came out, you know, it kind of took 20 years and it was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. This is exciting. But they they said this is just going to be rocket speed changing everything. An Israeli Knesset member just had it write a speech. Look, I'm not sure it's good or bad. I'm not sure. But (laughs) it gave a speech based on an artificial intelligence program of like, like, really? Well, okay. But you're right. There, things are moving very fast. And I, and I yes. just want to add real quickly, because I know Carl's going to cut us off in a second. Uh, that's <laughs> the in part. But I would say, yes. Um, first of all, if you haven't seen Jesus Revolution, stop oh, listening sure. to this in, in, in about 90 <laughs> seconds. And then go buy tickets and go take your family and your friends. And then go back and take more people. You have to see it. And then you have to take people. That's one thing. Then also, I just remember something. Anne Graham Lott spoke at a um, uh, an epicenter conference uh, for the Joshua Fund a number of years ago here in Jerusalem, and and I love what she said. She goes, um, and I don't remember there was an old British evangelist that uh, she knew because of her father, uh, Billy Graham. Um, but it, so I don't remember the name of that guy right now. But the guy said in this sermon. If you want a revival, go to a room by yourself, take a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself, get down on your knees and say, God, would you revive every single person in this circle? Right. Only God can revive a believer who's doing well, but needs to go deeper or not doing well and needs to do well or almost asleep or in full rebellion. But that's the difference. And we'll talk more, I think, on the next podcast, the difference between a revival and awakening. But let's just say it here. You need to have been vived once to be revived. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Revival happens inside the church. And what we watched in Jesus' revolution is two things happening at once. We saw a church and a pastor, starting with a pastor, become revived by the sense of, oh, this is possible. God could reach these young people, even through me, and I'm a stick in the mud, buttoned up, doesn't like, I don't even like this, but God could use me. Lord, okay, use me. I don't get it, but use me. That's and that church was revived. Yes, some people left, but some people stayed and got excited about it. That's revival. And then it can spread into great awakening. And yes, people aren't coming to faith at Asbury, but they're being revived. They're being inspired. They're being encouraged. And that can spread. And let's not quench the Holy Spirit. Let's say, wow, Lord, what else do you want to do? But start with me. Amen. hundred oh, percent. Well, you know, that's a great note to wrap up on. Joel, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and Kimberly, I want to say a special thank you to you, sweetheart. Uh, I'm so glad uh, to see you on this podcast and uh, to, to have this conversation with you because I know 
not only do you write about this, but you live it and, uh, and that you are, uh, really and truly seeing Jesus, uh, in, in circumstances around. And Joel, we'll come back and we'll talk more on this. And, uh, this will be really exciting, I think, for, uh, to hear the historical foundations on this and, uh, how does the implication for Israel going forward? So thank you all very much. And uh, and for you, our listeners, if uh, if you'd like to learn more about the Joshua Fund, you can visit our website at joshuafund.com. And there you can learn about what we're doing in the Middle East to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus and how you can participate in the healing work we're doing in this critical region. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast, like the Jesus Revolution or uh, uh, He Gets Us or Kimber, uh, the Kimberly Esper- or Kimberly's article (laughs) that you'd like more information on. And so for Joel Rosenberg and Kim Moeller, I'm Carl Moeller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter.